Well, good morning, church. We'll be looking at Proverbs 5 here in a moment. I want to share this story with you. Perhaps I've shared it with you before. might be familiar to you, but there's a little boy who was outside playing when he ran into a house and asked his mom that question no mom and dad ever want to answer. It was, Mom, where did I come from? Mom wasn't prepared for that question, so she gave him a tall tale about a beautiful white feathered bird that dropped off a little bundle at their doorstep. Scratched his head, he walked away, then bumped into his dad, figured he'd change the question a bit and said, Dad, where did Mom come from? Without missing a beat, the dad told the story of a beautiful white feathered bird that dropped off a little bundle at Graham and Grandpa's house one day. Boy then walked away, he ran into the living room and asked his grandmother, Graham, where did you come from? He received a variation on the white feathered bird story. And as he walked out the door, he was heard mumbling to himself, there hasn't been a normal birth in our family for three generations. (laughs) Well, as we come to Proverbs chapter 5 today, the father has the talk with his son. And actually, we've seen many fatherly talks throughout the first four chapters of Proverbs, but we see in today's passage Solomon talking to his son about sexuality. And those of you who have sat under my preaching for any length of time know that my approach to feeding you from God's Word is to work through a particular book of the Bible and teach on each section of verses found in that book. And, and, and while I may not touch on every single verse, the benefit of working through the Bible in this way is that topics are raised that I might otherwise rather avoid. <laughs> and this is one such topic. And if it wasn't already challenging enough, I'm taking on three chapters this morning. It isn't the only theme in these three chapters, but it is the dominant one. Solomon takes two and a half chapters to speak to his son about sexuality. And I'll be honest, halfway through my preparation for this message, I contemplated abandoning the two and a half chapters of content and focus on a different subject that's found in in these chapters, such as uh, chapter 6, verse 6, that says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. Look to the ant. Now that would preach. Actually, it does preach. I preached on it a couple of years ago. So I was back to square one. So here we are. Look at me at Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. And as comfortable as it may be, it is a message we hear. It is a message I need to preach. And I will try to be discreet and sensitive to young ears this morning without losing the force of what is said. Solomon pulls no punches in addressing a very critical issue. But the lesson for today can be summed up in these words right here. Know where you're headed. Know where you're headed. Someone quipped, if you don't know where you're going, you'll probably end up somewhere else. It's true. Do you know what you're walking into? Do you know where, where you're headed? Do you know where that one step is going to end. One writer said it this way, the wise person checks on the destination before buying a ticket. 
And yet, sadly, so many today have bought the tickets without ever considering the destination to horrendous pain and that the price was too high. Do you know where you're headed? You're not above sexual temptation, and neither am I. So these words apply to all of us in this matter of sexual temptation, but, but I hope you find by extension that they apply to any area of temptation. So broaden it if you must without losing the force of what is here. Now I want to use uh, these dominoes here to kind of set up for us where I want to go today. Now it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized there was an actual game that you could play with dominoes. I mean, I just thought you set up all, this, all these dominoes. I'm only using five here. But you set up all these dominoes in this long train. You hit the first one. You go, wow, that's cool. And you put it away. There's an actual game. It goes with this. is the fun game. But I want to use this image of domino train to illustrate what we have here in these three chapters. Hopefully, it gives us a picture of the importance of knowing where we're headed For at the end of the train, the end of the train, the afterward, is where I want to start this morning. The end of the train, and then we'll work ourselves back to the beginning. But I want us to see the afterward. And so the last domino, the afterward principle is this. Need to see beyond the immediate. We need to see beyond the immediate. All right. Proverbs chapter 5. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 5. I hope you're there following along with me. Uh, But we have in chapter 5 in the opening verses as if Solomon uh, is saying to his teenager, Son, it's time we have the talk. And kids know when dad's serious, right? Dad's tone kind of changes. His voice gets a little deeper. I kind of picture Solomon going to my son. Verse 1. Pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight. This is serious. And then look at verse 3. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. That's the bait. But look at the hook, verse 4. But in the end, in the end, the afterward, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. So what first tastes sweet will soon become bitter. You see it again now in verse 11. It says, at the end of your life, the afterward, at the end of your life, you will groan. Verse 14, and this is the afterward, the the morning after, uh, you will say, I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. You see, the picture of the afterward here is not pretty. Go with me to chapter 6. We're going to be moving around in these chapters, so you're going to need to keep up. But in chapter 6, chapter 6, follow along with me, verse uh, 26. 6.26, Solomon bluntly says, For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread. Now we've been told that sexual sin adds to your life. No, it does not. It subtracts. Sexual sin makes a reduction. That's what it's saying there in verse 26. Look at verse 27. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Right? If you play with fire long enough, you will get burnt. Ultimately, you'll destroy yourself if you don't do something with it, and and there'll be disgrace and the shame um, that accompanies sexual sin. Then there's another rhetorical question, verse 28. Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? (laughs) 
boy, did he nail it or what? The afterward. Church, see beyond the immediate. Know where you're headed. Now, if that's the afterward of sexual sin, then why have so many fallen to it? Good people, those we respect, those we say should know better. Well, it starts long before you jump into bed with someone. So I want to look at the morning before or several days before and, and that, that of the falling into sexual sin or any sin for that matter. We need to, to, to extend that. And I want to go all the way back to the first domino, okay? The first no- domino sets all this in motion. I want to go back. Domino number one is living on the edge. Living on the edge. All right, chapter five again. Told you you need to keep up. Chapter five, verse five. It says, her feet, the adulteress, sins appeal. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her path, paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now, if that is her path, how do we avoid it? Well, listen to the practical counsel Solomon gives to his son. Verse 8. Verse 8, chapter 5. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. You see what I emphasize there? Do you see it? You go a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Not near. It's pretty good advice. An old Chinese proverb says it this way, he who would not enter the room of sin must not sit at the door of temptation. But we do. We do, don't we? We, we, we mess around with temptation. Why? Because we really don't want to discourage temptation completely. We think, we think we can handle it. And so we play with temptation. That, that would be like a scuba diver seeing how little air he can leave in his tank and still make it to the surface. There's nothing to be gained by living on the edge of purity. How close are you to the edge? In the day of horses and buggies and carriages, the lady of the manor wanted to hire a carriage driver. And so a number of applicants showed up and she narrowed it down to three of them. And she says to the three, she says, you would have noticed that on the way up to my place here up on the road that it winds severely and steeply back down to the street uh, to town. And the thing I'm always interested in, she said to them, in a driver, is to see how close they can take it to the edge. So he then said, well, you know, what I'd like to do with each of you is ride down to the town and then back again, and and that will be your interview. She got into the carriage of the first guy and, and drove down to the town. He took it as close as he could to the edge, about two feet or so, and went down to town and then and then back again safely. Well, she, she got in the carriage with a second driver who had been watching from a distance, and he said, oh, I can beat that, and he took it over to about 12 inches from the edge. He went down to the town and, 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 and then back up again and dropped her off. Then there was the third guy. He put her in the back. He closed the door. He got on the horse, and he drove right down the middle of the street. <laughs> now, which one got hired? <laughs> The one who drove it down the middle of the street. I mean, after all, you don't want a carriage driver taking you six inches from oblivion every time you go shopping, do you? 
Learn to live in the center of the narrow way. And you go, but pastor, that's legalistic. No, it isn't. It's common sense. It's wisdom. Wise up. And the church today has experienced one moral collapse after another. Why? Well, there are many reasons for that, but one reason is that, that too many are living on the edge. So in what way, in what area of your life presently, are you living on the edge? Far from her. Don't think for a moment that you can get just a little involved and be okay. Our moral collapse begins right here. Domino number one, living on the edge. Well, we come to our second domino, our second domino of this train of, uh, leading into this fall, this afterward. The second domino is making our choices on the basis of our options at the moment. Making our choices on the basis of our options at the moment. All right, now you need to go over to chapter 7. Look at me at Proverbs chapter 7. What we have in chapter 7 is Solomon is writing of a young man's uh, uh, road to trouble. And on this road, as we'll see here, we're invited to walk in the shoes of a man uh, headed to the afterward, his fall, his ruin, the death-like consequences of his choices, one domino at a time. And millions in every culture for thousands of years have traveled this road. Chapter 7, verse 6. Chapter 7, verse 6. It says, at the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. Now, what you have here is a picture of kind of a teacher, maybe the father, uh, looking out of his second-story window, and he's watching this scene uh, unfold before his very eyes. And unbeknownst to this young man, someone is watching. Someone's always watching. (laughs) Our all-knowing God sees that which we consider private behind closed doors. And what does this man see as he looks out his window? He says it in verse 7. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. We have a a hypothetical yet realistic account of one man who's not thinking about where he is headed with his choices. You see, the simple here could be defined as one who just keeps his options open. He has no plan in advance. He's going to look at his options in the moment of temptation. Not a good idea. Verse 8. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. Whose house? The house of a promiscuous woman. What's wrong with this picture? See, by walking toward her house, the house of, of sexual sin, he was either stupid or arrogantly thinking he'd get away with it. But you know what? There is something incredibly powerful about sexual sin that numbs our judgment. We lose all common sense. We don't think straight. And the power of it leads us to insanity. We'll enter the seduction. We meet the woman in verse 10, chapter 7. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. Now, ladies, hear this. Young or old, somewhere in between. This woman chose provocative clothes 
in order to get attention. I ask, what is your intent in choosing one particular outfit over another? Let it sit there. Verse 11. She's loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home, it says. You see, her intent is what? To seduce. And this young guy here has no idea what he's walking into because he has no plan in advance. He has decided to make his choice on the basis of his options at the moment. Now listen, we are all one moment away from moral disaster, no matter how long we have walked with the Lord. If we make our choices on the basis of the options at the moment, we are in trouble. And that leads to the next domino, the third domino this morning. It's being naive to the power of sin's appeal. It's being naive to the power of sin's appeal. Sin is about to take a hold of this guy, literally. Verse 13 of chapter 7 says, She took hold of him and kissed him. Sin's appeal is aggressive. It's available. It's easily accessible. I mean, you want to sin? You don't have to look hard to find it. It's readily available. And so the woman came out. She took hold of him. And then verse 18 Uh, Excuse me, verse 15, she says she looked for. Sin is predatory. This is why we can't wait until we're in the heat of passion to decide on a strategy for sexual purity. That would be like a soldier going out into the battlefield hoping he doesn't get hit too much. What is this guy thinking? Did he really think he could get this close to temptation and get out unscathed? Kind of like the little boy who was told by his mother that he couldn't have a cookie before dinner. She was really clear on this. You were not to have a cookie before dinner. Well, later, the mother walked into the kitchen and found the little boy with his hand in the cookie jar. And she screamed out, what in the world are you doing? The little boy replied, I'm fighting temptation. (laughs) That's not the time to fight it. (laughs) That's not the time. Are you alert to sin's appeal. If so, you have a plan in advance. And for this man, Proverbs 7, sin is knocking at his door. It says, as God said to Cain, remember back in Genesis, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, it desires to have you, but you must master it. And at this stage of temptation, he has no plan to master it. He's in way over his head. He has underestimated sin's powerful appeal. Well, we come to the fourth domino here before it all goes crashing down. Fourth domino is the lie that overshadows reality. It is the lie that overshadows reality. Now the real clincher here is in not what she's wearing, as bad as that is, or even her embrace, but in what she says. Look at verse 15 of chapter 7. She says to this guy, so I came out to meet you. I looked for You, I have found you. Now, folks, this is exactly the lie of many websites that invite you to enter or or the women who, who dresses provocatively or the someone who might flirt with you. It singles you out and personalizes it so that your ego is stroked. You, I found you. I want you. Common sense would tell us this is not true. But 
Again, there's something about sexual sin that clouds our judgment. And he is not asked at this point, what will this do to my heart? As we saw last week. And the lie is making its way into his heart and he's now ready for an escape from reality. I remember as a kid growing up in Massachusetts. Don't hold that against me. And I, was enjoy, I always enjoyed the, uh, the fair in Topsfield. Topsfield fair I felt was one of the best. And so I'd go as a kid each, each fall. And as you enter in, like all fairgrounds, there's that, that smell of, of sausage, peppers, and onions. I know you're getting hungry. You get, yeah, I remember going in and it was the dazzling sights of the fast rides and the promises of winnings from the game masters. I remember as a kid going in with a wad of money returning with hardly a coin in my pocket. <laughs> so I'm a lot smarter now. I take my wife with me. I don't spend nearly as much. <laughs> but, but when you go to a fair, right, in a sense, you leave all responsibilities behind, right? It's an escape from reality. I find it interesting that we call adultery what? An affair. Is it not an escape from reality? This young man on the road to trouble, he shunned wisdom. He's out of touch with the reality of the consequences to come in his moment of pleasure. And then down in verses 16 and 8 through 18, you can read it for yourself in chapter 7. But in essence, what she says there is, let the fun begin all night long. My husband is away. We can get away with this. No one will get hurt. Sweet ecstasy of sensual pleasure. And this guy thinks he hit the jackpot. Beautiful woman. Wants him. No one's around. Well, at least for the night until the drug wears off and reality returns. See, wisdom says, ponder the facts, not the fantasies. Ponder the facts, not the fantasies. Know where you're headed. He got himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so the domino effect is about to be played out. Look with me at verse 21, chapter 7, verse 21. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. Folks, that's a one-way journey. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. Like a bird uh, darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost his life. And so there you have it. A domino train all set for a train wreck. And the father in the window could have very well shouted out to him, let me ask you, was it worth it? Was it worth it? Was it worth it for that one night of pleasure? Was it worth it for 30 minutes of fun or indulging for five minutes? See, we need to think beyond the next five minutes, the next five days, next 30 minutes, whatever it is. We need to see beyond the immediate. And there's not a pastor who went into moral failure. There's not a teenager who went down the slippery slope of some addiction. There's not a person, young or old, 
man or woman who paid such a dear price for their moral collapse, who did not end up there in part because they failed to see beyond the immediate. In this domino train, we have a picture of the many decisions that led up to that fall morally. And I could have probably come up with a bunch of more. I wanted to stick to our passage this morning. That one decision way back here that have a dominant effect in our lives. If we don't deal with that, head on. And often we look at the last domino that fell over and go, why do you keep falling over? Stop it. No, it would be better if we looked at the private thoughts and the, and the things done in secrecy and our, our relationship with the Lord that's cooling off and inner fantasies and, and the many, many things that led up to that. It's been said that moral failure is rarely the result of a blowout. Almost always it's the result of a slow leak. All right, how do we fight this battle or any temptation? Two things. One, First of all, how do we fight this? We deal with temptation at its earliest stages. You can end your relationship to sin, at that, of that sin at any moment. And just as a football coach will scream to his defensive players, stop the running back behind the line of scrimmage before he gains momentum. In the same way, stop temptation behind the line of scrimmage before it gains momentum. That's the first thing. Deal with temptation in its early stages, whatever that means for you right now. Secondly, don't exchange the truth for the parody. Don't exchange the truth for the imitation. All right, go back to me, with me to chapter 5. Chapter 5. Just in case we think our strategy for dealing with a, a particular sin or avoiding sin and that's all we're supposed to do is avoid it in particular sexual sin. It's all about saying no. Here's a yes from God. Here's a yes from God. God gives you permission to enjoy his good gifts. All right, chapter 5, verse 15. Chapter 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. Now the metaphor here is what? Water. Water satisfies thirst. Thirst is used here to speak of man's sexual desires. And there's only one way to satisfy your thirst, with your spouse in the context of marriage. You see the exclusivity of the passion that you want to enjoy with your spouse? Yours alone, it says. Never to be shared. This thought continues and includes ecstasy. Look at verse 18. Verse 18. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer. May your breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by your love. Now, if you think it was a little awkward hearing that, trust me, it was a little awkward reading it. Isn't this cool that this is in the Bible? <laughs> we tend to think that to talk about sex is not spiritual. The Word of God speaks to this area of our lives. God created it. God gives you permission. More than that, He wants you to enjoy your spouse. It says, lovely doe, graceful deer. That might not communicate anything to us, especially if you're a hunter. That's not a good image for you as you think of your wife. 
picture, the picture is of a husband honoring his wife's beauty. It's to enjoy his wife visually. Husbands, focus your delight on your wife. Men, your standard of beauty is your wife. It's my wife. Who's beautiful than everybody, but that's beside the point. Now, the word captivated would be used of a man uh, staggering down the street in drunkenness. I don't have time to talk all about this, but, but, but I guess I, I would say this. Be head over heels in romantic love. I would say, wives, focus on intoxicating one man, your husband. Don't spend one ounce of your energy on delighting other men. Ladies, God is giving you something, something very powerful. Your sexuality. Don't misuse this power by drawing attention to yourself. Don't let lies about your body keep you from captivating your man. Delight your man. Husbands, wives, go all out in rejoicing and delighting in each other. That's your homework. <laughs> now honestly, when's the last time a preacher's given you that as an assignment? And anything that's getting in the way of your delighting in each other or keeping you from exerting energy into delighting each other, even if it's a good thing, get rid of it. There's no way around verse 19 being anything but erotic. It says, ever and always, it speaks of the quality and quantity of lovemaking. When you're married, go all out in your intimacy with each other. Have fun, have it often. Now that's something you want to come home to. Paul Overstreet. Country singer actually wrote words to that. He said, well, the guys that I work with, they work real hard. At the end of the day, it's their time to play. And they can't understand why a married man is in a hurry to ever go home. <laughs> and he says, well, I just tell them that all the fun that I'm ever going to need, I got a waiting at home for me. Because something's always going on. All the fun that a man could want, I got waiting for me at home. Love that. I mean, why exchange the truth of verse 19 for the imitation of verse 20? Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Very simple. How do I translate that? Keep your hands on your wife. Keep your hands off every other woman. Pretty simple. Hard in practice. But we need to be there. And again, to all people, married, single, wherever you are in this, in what way are you exchanging the truth for some imitation? I read about a group of Minnesota teens who were apprehended after attempting to steal a cake uh, from a local grocery store. And as if the embarrassment of getting caught by the authorities wasn't enough punishment, it was discovered that the cake the group had stolen was not even real. It was a cardboard display cake. <laughs> and of course, they had fun with it on social media. They put things up like uh, uh, hashtag no cake for you, <laughs> hashtag no, not so sweet surprise. But you see the point. How are we exchanging the real for fake? We think we got the real. It's not real at all. 
How have you been exchanging the truth for a parody? Know where you're headed by seeing beyond the immediate. Because remember, temptation shows you the bait but hides the hook. Pastor Roland Hill looked out of his office window one time and he saw this butcher who was followed by the swine right into the slaughterhouse. And as pigs did not usually go where they wanted, it seemed a mystery to him how these animals were so eager to follow their executioner. And so Roland Hill left his office, he went out to the, to the farmer and he said, tell me, tell me farmer, how do you get pigs to follow you to their death? And the pig farmer answered, he says, well, can't you see the bag of, of peas and, and beans that I carry with me? I drop a little bit of the pig's food every few steps. A few peas, a few beans. And these pigs, unsuspicious of their impending doom, eat and follow right to their death. When we do not see beyond the immediate, our passing gratification, are we then headed in a direction that will end tragically. Let's pray. Lord, no doubt it's not easy to hear this morning, not easier to preach, but it's here. It's in your word. There are many other places I could have gone to to support and reinforce Proverbs 5 through 7. So, Lord, let us take to heart what is here. Let us remember to enjoy the good gifts you've given to us as a father gives to his children. And, Lord, help us to make our number one pursuit knowing you, loving you, going hard after you. Remind us of that as we Sing that, those closing words in this song this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.